Hello and good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you are hearing this to all of my listeners out there. Welcome to another episode of Paloma Preaches. I'm Paloma Garcia, a current high school student dedicated to spreading awareness about digestive disorders and diseases. Well, somewhat dedicated. But nonetheless, today will be an interesting talk about inflamed veins located where the sun don't shine. So I encourage you to sit back and relax, but maybe don't sit for too long or you might contract this specific disorder. All right, let's get right into it, shall we? Get our hands dirty. If you haven't already guessed the topic of this discussion today, we will be venturing into everything hemorrhoids. That's right, hemorrhoids. Now for me, whenever I hear the word hemorrhoid, I think of that vine made a couple years ago where that woman goes, actually, Megan, I can't sit anywhere. I have hemorrhoids. If you know, you know. (laughs) But I give props to the creator of that vine because she does have a point, you know, that hemorrhoids can be very uncomfortable and annoying. So let's start with discussing what a hemorrhoid is. A hemorrhoid or varicose veins in the anus or rectal region are inflamed veins located, well, you guessed it, around the rectal and anal region of the body. The skin located around those veins stretches to accommodate for the enlargement of the veins, causing tearing and bleeding. Those veins in turn tend to stick out and bulge due to the thinning of the tissue around those veins and cause sensitivity. Now, there are two different types of hemorrhoids, and the classification depends on where exactly the hemorrhoid lies, whether it's above or below this thing called a dentate line. Now, I know what you're thinking. Paloma, what the heck is a dentate line? (laughs) To put it in simple terms, the dentate line just separates the internal anal region and the external anal region. So, just think of it like outside the body versus inside the anal cavity. So based on this, the two different types are external hemorrhoids and internal hemorrhoids. The external hemorrhoid appears below the dentate line and under specific types of cells called anaderm cells and epithelial cells. And these hemorrhoids contain somatic nerves which inflict pain when sitting or wiping or basically doing anything with your buttocks. The internal hemorrhoids, on the other hand, appear, well, again, you guessed it, inside the rectum pathway and are made up of endoderm tissues. A good way to think about this is that endoderm is more like inside and anoderm is outside. Um, Internal hemorrhoids are usually painless because they're inside the colon and pretty much just bleed, so they don't really get lots of stimulation. Um, However, if the internal hemorrhoid prolapses, just a fancy way of saying sliding down the anal opening, then this can cause lots of discomfort and become very uncomfy. Hemorrhoids are more of an environmentally dependent disorder, meaning that one usually contracts this disorder due to their lifestyle and the way they go about their daily lives. The specific cause of this disorder is unknown, however, because even when we're just standing or sitting, there's already a bunch of pressure that is being put on those rectal veins, causing them to bulge and even burst at times. But other potential causes can be aging, pregnancy, when like the uterus enlarges and places a ton of pressure on those veins, 
straining when going to the bathroom when you have to do a number two, or spending extended amount of time on the toilet. Get that. And maybe just reading a newspaper on the toilet. Now let's discuss my favorite portion of this topic, hemorrhoid evolution. Everything that was thought about hemorrhoids back then and how it's evolved and become the condition that it is today. So it turns out that hemorrhoids were very prevalent in ancient times. And I mean way, 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 way back, like ancient Greece and even Mesopotamia. Even though we do not know specifically who first discovered the existence of this disorder, we know that the first seen description was in the civilization of Mesopotamia dating back to 1500 BCE. Isn't that incredible? And this disorder has been described very consistently throughout the rest of the ancient world at that time. And basically, once the human species discovered a way to actually record their findings, society wrote down a lot, and I mean a lot of information about hemorrhoids. Even Egyptians recorded their findings in Chester Beatty Medical Papyrus, and our beloved Greek physician Hippocrates wrote papers and papers on hemorrhoids. In 1884, William Bodenhammer wrote 300 pages worth of content solely on hemorrhoids. And that guess that brings us back to current era, where at least one article is released a week just on hemorrhoids. Because, let's face it, there are still lots we do not know about hemorrhoids. Our understanding of and attitude towards this disorder has shifted throughout history, as do most medical conditions. Going back to the time period before 400 BCE, you know, when Sparta was in the middle of declaring war on Persia and ancient Egypt wanted to free themselves from Persia, (laughs) humanity believed that when something horrific befell on earth, it was the doing of the gods and demons and stars. If something terrible happened to you, they believed you must have done something wrong to anger the gods and you must now appease the gods or use amulets to cast the darkness away. So hemorrhoids were viewed as catastrophic punishments from the gods, and the only treatment was to tie stone around your neck. Now, after 400 BCE, humans adopted humoralism, which involved the ideology that health was based on the balance of the four humors. Now, I take it that you already know what the four humors are, but just in case, these four humors are blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Thus, the bleeding of hemorrhoids was actually seen as a blessing because they believed the blood must have been out of balance with the rest of the humors, and the letting out through the hemorrhoids was a good thing. And fun fact, hemorrhoids became known as golden veins, So isn't that quite interesting that before 400 BCE, hemorrhoids were viewed as a negative aspect of your health. But after 400 BCE, the tables turned and hemorrhoids were viewed as a good thing. Now, one of the first attempts at an actual anatomical explanation was from Giovanni Battista Morgiani in the early to mid-1700s. Um, who suggested that hemorrhoids were actually caused by an upright position, long veins with faulty valves, and 
elevated pressure in veins. However, we now know that this stab at trying to contextualize hemorrhoids was incorrect since even with working valves, hemorrhoids can still occur and people with psoriasis still get hemorrhoids. There was also a misconception that hemorrhoids ran in Jewish families, but we obviously now know that this assumption was mostly based on anti-Semitism clouding the world at that time. Next came the 1800s when society believed, get this, <laughs> that hemorrhoids were the male equivalent to menstruation. They also proposed that this disorder was a result from intercourse, wearing tight clothes, or cleaning those sensitive areas with hard newspapers. Hemorrhoid treatments and remedies were also subject to their time period and evolution. For example, up until the mid-1800s, quality medical treatments were for the rich of the rich, and the other common folk had no choice but to rely on fad homemade remedies or town witch doctors. Treatments varied at that time from bloodletting, leech sucking, and even cupping. Obviously, now we have better understanding of the human body systems and we have tested these alleged treatments from the past and sifted out these pointless and, let's face it, stupid remedies. But we still don't know enough about hemorrhoids. It is one of the most common diseases and with modern technologies such as the simple microscope, we can study their tissues now. But the best cure for hemorrhoids still remains a mystery. Now we'll segue into the epidemiology of hemorrhoids. So unfortunately, not many statistics are provided for hemorrhoids because some cases just go completely unnoticed by an individual. However, it is known that hemorrhoids have a prevalence rate of 4.4% in the United States, and a study showed that 50% of 50-year-olds have contracted hemorrhoids at some given point in their lives. Also, hemorrhoids is the fourth leading gastrointestinal diagnosis in the United States, with 10.4 million Americans suffering and 1 million new cases occurring each year. Usually, 45 to 60-year-olds suffer from this disorder. A case study was performed in January of 2019 by Dr. Ashwin Apt, a professor of the Medical College in Bhopal, India, that highlights the patterns of hemorrhoid occurrences. From his study of 430 adult patients who were diagnosed with hemorrhoids, he found that Caucasians were interestingly more prone to hemorrhoids than African Americans, and those of higher socioeconomic classes tended to suffer more from hemorrhoids as well. Dr. Ashwin proposed that the lack of fiber in the diet and sedentary lifestyle of those higher classes can contribute to this observation. Hemorrhoids appear in both women and males, and hemorrhoids are not fatal themselves because they're just inflamed veins. However, they can be a sign of something more fatal that is going on in an individual's body. So best to talk to a doctor about that. Um, additionally, rubber band ligation, which is a type of treatment that we will discuss later on in this podcast, can lead to pelvic sepsis, which actually has a mortality rate of 30%. 
but hemorrhoids themselves are not fatal or transmissible. So if you soon find out that your partner has or had hemorrhoids, don't freak out too much because your partner cannot transmit the disorder to you through the dreaded hemorrhoid touch. Now for the symptoms of hemorrhoids. As we have discussed before, some hemorrhoids are asymptomatic, meaning they give no forewarning to the patient that they're going to camp on your body for just a couple of days. However, if the patient has an external hemorrhoid or a prolapsed internal hemorrhoid, the patient might experience bleeding while defecating, itching or pain in that area, some sort of protrusion of the skin while defecating, or spontaneous lumps that are sensitive to the touch. When a hemorrhoid occurs, the vascular and smooth tissue are inflamed and destroyed accompanied by the disconnection of connective tissue in that region. Of course, the rectum and the anus are harmed by this disorder. During the last stage of the digestive system, which is the defecation, the mucus that can seep out of the bulge can make it feel as though the individual hasn't completely emptied out all of their waste. Obviously, defecation becomes painful when having hemorrhoids. In terms of the diagnosis of hemorrhoids, there are different degrees that are assigned to a hemorrhoid, sort of like stages of a malignant cancer. So a first degree hemorrhoid is one that hasn't prolapsed below the dentate line. A second degree hemorrhoid is one that has indeed prolapsed below the dentate line, but reduced its size sporadically and spontaneously. A third degree hemorrhoid is one that has also prolapsed and requires a physical reduction of its size. Finally, a fourth degree hemorrhoid is one that also prolapsed but unfortunately can't be reduced manually because of its location in the rectum or the anus. I think it's about time that we talk about the response and treatment to hemorrhoids. So of course, before any type of treatment, anyone who actually believes that he or she is suffering from hemorrhoids should consult with a doctor or a surgeon because in reality, many hemorrhoids are actually treatable using common remedies. For example, diet is a major factor in prevention of the hemorrhoids. Um, eating high fiber foods or including some sort of fiber supplement in meals can make stool softer and prevent any excess straining or abrasion of the sensitive skin during bowel movements. Some fiber rich foods include whole wheat, brown rice, oatmeal, pears, carrots, bran, etc, etc. Um, it is also recommended that people don't strain to relieve themselves and even taking warm baths for 10 to 20 minutes a day can relieve pain and encourage healing. Also, drinking plenty of fluids can prevent stool from becoming too firm and prevent the need to strain. If one does indeed suffer from a hemorrhoid that must be removed through surgery, which implies that it is a third degree hemorrhoid, there are a couple options available for that individual. Um, one possible procedure is known as a rubber band ligation, where um, we discussed before, a rubber band is tied at the base of the hemorrhoid. This cuts off blood supply, or basically the food, to those cells in the hemorrhoid and induces necrosis for the hemorrhoid cells. 
So in seven days or so, the mass becomes dead and basically sloughs off. <laughs> Another option is an injection or coagulation. The injection includes a specific fluid that shrivels up the mass, and coagulation includes the use of infrared lights to scar the tissue of the hemorrhoid, cutting off its blood supply and reducing swelling. Hemorrhoid stapling is also done to shrink the internal hemorrhoid by cutting off its expanded tissue from the surrounding tissue, kind of creating this barrier that the hemorrhoid can't pass. Um, and the final resort to be rid of this little bugger is a hemorrhoidectomy, where the doctor surgically removes the hemorrhoid. Now, if, the proce if in the process of healing, the area becomes infected because of a reduced flow of blood to the region, the patient is usually given an antibiotic called doxycycline to prevent the infection and fight off these um, infections. As we draw to a close, I came across some questions of my own while researching this disorder. Um, I wanted to know how in the world a disorder like hemorrhoids could possibly be hereditary. And after researching this topic for a while, it actually turns out that weak veins passed down from parent to offspring can increase the risk of the offspring contracting hemorrhoids because the veins are a bit thinner and um, increase the possibility of bulges. Um, I also wanted to know whether or not hemorrhoids can lead to colon cancer and if there's any relationship between the two. Um, I actually found out that although colon cancer and hemorrhoids have similar symptoms such as blood in the stool, Hemorrhoids do not cause cancer in the slightest. It would be a mistake to self-diagnose bleeding during defecation as either hemorrhoids or colon cancer. Um, so it is best to consult with a doctor if that symptom occurs. Additionally, I pondered what other stool softening agents would prevent younger children from getting um, hemorrhoids because we all know that younger children can be picky eaters at times and might not want to eat that bran or brown rice or carrots, right? So I found that docusate, um, polyethylene glycol, which is in Miralax, and magnesium hydroxide, which is in PDLX chewable tablets, can actually soften the stool for younger children who might need that extra help. Um, of loosening their stool while defecating. So now all of this research about the past and current happenings with hemorrhoids got me thinking about what the future might hold for these pesky little buggers. I came to my own conclusion that based off of my research, I think that the future of hemorrhoids diagnosis is actually quite bright. Um, with new innovation and plenty of resources to run tests, I am pretty optimistic that scientists will be able to trace hemorrhoids possibly back to their root cause. Um, maybe new technology will open doors for other treatments of hemorrhoids, like a specific drug that targets enlarged veins. Of course, that will come with its own complications and concerns, but one can only hope, right? It is amazing to look back at how 
far we have come as a society in the diagnosis and treatment of hemorrhoids from wearing amulets to bloodletting and then to surgical procedures i can't help but wonder what other revolutionary discoveries will plow the path for more discussions and more curiosity Well, that's it for this podcast, folks. I hope you enjoyed our little discussion about hemorrhoids, what they are, their history and epidemiology, and their symptoms and treatments. If this topic of hemorrhoids intrigued you in any way, shape, or form, I encourage you to browse through my website references that I attached to this podcast and do some digging on your own. Um, I also attach diagrams and useful photos to aid your understanding of this topic. So if you want to um, re-listen to this podcast and follow along with the diagrams, that might be helpful. Um, But just remember that curiosity is a gift. Don't waste it. Learn about new topics and explore whatever your heart desires. Um, Well, enough for the cheesy remarks. Um, Keep smiling and until next time.